HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Cutting the Curd is brought to you by the Dairy Farm Families of Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Did you know that today Wisconsin produces more than 600 varieties, types, and styles of American international style and original cheeses that win more awards than any other state or country? For more information, visit eatwisconsincheese.com. I'm Grace Bonney of After the Jump, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Cutting the Curd, broadcasting live on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Gregory Blaze, and I'm really excited for today's episode because I have not one, but two Cutting the Curd veterans in the studio with me today. Uh, with me to co-host is the estimable Diane Stemple, book reviewer extraordinaire. Hello, Diane. How are you today? I'm very good. Thanks for having me. <laughs> and our guest today is a first-time guest. But many time host, the creator and overlord of Cutting the Curve, Anne Saxelby. How are you today? Overlord, I like that. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. Well, welcome back to Roberta's. Uh, you are through the looking glass here. Uh, up is down, black is white. Guests have become hosts. Hosts have become guests. It's really what the confusing. hell is going on? It's really confusing. I don't know. I don't know. Actually, it's so so much has changed. When I was coming down Bogart Street to come to Roberta's, it's like Beacon's Closet is on Bogart Street. There yes. are all these new businesses. There's a new taco place. I was like, what the hell is going on? And there I mean, was no parking today. There was, I couldn't find any parking. I found a parking spot. Well, I did too, but I had to go around the block. <laughs> I've never had to do that before. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it feels like th- this is more bustling over here than, you know, where I came from. And, <laughs> and, and, and you know, central, more central Brooklyn. Where did you move? Um, we moved to Eastern Parkway. Do you um, like Prospect it? Prospect Heights. Yeah, it's really nice. Mm-hmm. It's really nice. It turns out, actually, Joan Rivers used to live in our building. <laughs> That's very odd. It's so funny. Yeah, it's so weird. You mean two days ago? Till, right before she died? Or no, no, Back no, in no. the day? Back in the day. Oh. Yeah, yeah. They like uh, The Daily News ran this funny article today and interviewed our doorman, who's been here for like a million years, and uh-huh. he was talking about Joan Rivers and her family. That must have been crazy. She must have some like, well, I don't know. She's an eccentric, obviously. So yeah, yeah. Who knows? She was a child, so I don't know if it was already coming out at that point Uh. or not. (laughs) 
I was down in your hood um, on Saturday as well. I was uh, doing a little uh, moonlighting at a cheese shop down in uh, Crown Heights. In, at, uh, at Wedge, at Wedge right? Yeah, yeah. I was down there for for a bit. And How I, was it? It was it was neat. It was a, it was a, it was a tiny little shop, um, and uh, and it was really fun. Uh, I forgot how nice people were in Brooklyn in mm. comparison to Manhattan. Ah, well, you got the tourists. You have the tourists in Manhattan. I get everybody. I mean, literally, uh, <laughs> extraterrestrials. You know what I mean? People. I got. I got them all. What uh, were you doing at Wedge? Just. Just, you just need more cheese mongering. And also, I visited uh, for the first time uh, the Brooklyn Larder, which I'd never been to, oh, yeah. which I really loved. It's a nice mm-hmm. shop. Yeah, yeah and they made nice. me a great meatball sub in there. Mm. They have was, good food. They really do. And mm-hmm. um, and I was uh, I was really I was really impressed. I mean, I just you know how it is in New York. Uh, it's like you're living in a bunch of different countries. So I live in Astoria, but I work in Manhattan. So there's really no reason for me to ever go to Brooklyn except for to come and record this radio show or to do things after the sun goes down. You know? <laughs> totally. Tr- trying to eliminate portion of that from my life. So it'll get out to Brooklyn. And I just never needed to go to that part of Brooklyn. So i just and never been to the And since you're Larder. a cheesemonger, it's like you don't really do that on your day off. I feel like at some point... I feel like when I was first getting into cheese, I would like go out and like see like every shop I could and visit every farmer's market yeah. I could mm-hmm. and try everything. And then after a while, it's just like, yeah, I don't know. On your, sometimes on your day off, you want to do something different. So you don't always like go out and, and see everything you should. No, you go home and you lie down. Because yeah. <laughs> That's actually good because I wanted to um, ask you and Saxelby. Uh, so you, you have... You're quite a known entity in the cheese world, obviously, <laughs> and you've helped tell the stories of like so many professionals. Uh, you've had so many people on the show, and uh, you know I feel like you you've educated the world of cheese about so many people. But what um, I'd like to turn the tables on you a little bit and ask you about your own personal cheese journey. Like, uh oh. <laughs> That's what's going to happen. All right, all right. Well, I'll, I'll try to keep it short and sweet. I don't want to bore anybody. But oh, come on! On the edge. Of would you tell us about the roots of Saxelby cheesemongers? You know, and in, in your roots of uh, cheesemongery. Well, sure. Well, I guess you know it goes back to college. I went to NYU, and um, and I grew up in the Midwest, and so I wasn't really exposed to any interesting cheese really i remember that when we went to the grocery store as a kid if we got sliced white american from the deli you know not from the craft package that that was like fancy the slices are thicker they're thicker you know and they always gave us one to taste and that was always really exciting um but so when i moved to new york i kind of like you know learned about food in general like you know falafel was a very exotic entity and um all these new things. So I ended up. I traveled uh, with my f- to visit a friend of mine who was studying abroad. What I, were you studying at NYU? I was studying art, studio art. So painting, drawing, sculpture, photo, the whole the whole bit. Just kind of dabbling in everything. And uh, when I went to visit this friend of mine who was studying in Florence, she took me to the Central Market there, which of course was like this mind blowing experience. Yeah, it's and, crazy. You know everything, just everything: the cheese, the cured meats, the breads, the dried fruit, the fresh produce. It was all so incredible, and I was kind of like, "Huh, you know, we have all this stuff at home, but none of it tastes as amazing as any of this stuff does." So, what's what have I been missing out on? You know. So when I came back to New York, somebody was like, "Oh, you've got to check out Murray's Cheese. They've got the best cheese in the city, and you know, you can really learn about cheese there." So I started like going to Murray's as a student and uh, buying cheese there, and I would be that annoying customer that we all know now <laughs> who was buying like. 
like eight quarter pounds of things and tasting for like a half hour. And Those are terrible people. They're terrible people. I was one of them. I, I confess. That's why you're so nice as a cheesemonger. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's like I've been, you're I've paying been on it the back. other side of the counter. Yeah, I remember. It was that guy. It's death by a thousand paper cuts. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, so that was kind of my introduction to Murray's. And um, when I graduated from college with an art degree, I was like, a, you know, not very employable um, because I didn't want to be a professional artist. And I had worked in galleries and at museums and wasn't really. You didn't like the culture there? Yeah, no, it just wasn't really my tribe. You know, I felt like um, the art world was a little too highfalutin, a little too pretentious, a little too clubby, you know, and I just didn't ever really feel like. I fit in, you know. Yeah, the cheese world's nothing like that. Yeah, no, it's not. It's like full of it's full of really great, fun, generous, you know, open people. And so um, when I graduated, I went to Murray's and asked if I could have a job. And Amy Sisti, who was then the manager, who now works for Grafton Cheese, um, you know, she kind of was like very polite to me, like Amy always is, and you know, <laughs> yeah. And but you know, didn't really call me back or anything. So I went back like probably four times, and <laughs> I was like, listen, I was like, you know, I really don't know much about cheese but i'm i'm really interested and i think i could learn fast and um i remember she asked me <laughs> she asked me if i had to pair piave with something what would i pair it with you know wine wise and i was like oh geez i don't know what piave is and so i just said like <laughs> i remember i said oh sauvignon blanc definitely which would be terrible not good <laughs> not good at all not a good thing. but i guess she was like well at least she's trying at you least know she knows a, a name of a wine a name of a wine <laughs> yeah 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 so anyways, from there, you know, I, I started working there three days a week. I was working at a wine store the other three days a week. And, and that was a good wine store. It was a great wine Where'd store. Where'd you work? Yeah, Chamber Street Wines down in Tribeca. Sure. And um, yeah, those guys were great. So I feel like I just kind of stumbled into like this really awesome, you know. Um, combo training. Yeah, cheese and wine combo training. I hired a lot, a lot of people um, when I was a manager at Dean and DeLuca. I had a lot of people... That just kept coming back like that, that were artists. And I feel um, and later in the season we wanted to do a show on that and have you have you come with us. So I feel like you know there are a lot of artists that, that gravitated towards it. I had people come to see me ten times mm-hmm. just to get one shift from me at mm-hmm. Dean and DeLuca because they just wanted to be around the cheese, like just to be around the stuff and like be able to handle it. They also wanted to be able to eat for free. You know. you know, yeah. As artists, you know that that comes in handy too. You're like, oh, this is all my job. It's R and D. You know, you gotta try all this stuff. Um, but well, the art thing—that's an interesting sort of segue. So when I, um, you know, working at Murray's, I worked there for a summer, actually with Diane. That's how I met Diane. She worked one day a week at Murray's, and that was Diane works one day a week everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> that's it's my claim to three hundred and sixty-five jobs. Yeah. <laughs> that's hilarious. It's very true. It's very true. I don't um, like to get bored. You know, yeah. There's so many. There's a lot of interesting things to do in New York, you know. But um, after a summer at Murray's, I, I went up to Cato Corner Farm for an internship. In Connecticut. In Connecticut, yeah. I had met them at the Green Market, and um, and they you know, granted me this internship, even though, you know, again, I knew nothing about cheese. But they start a lot of people out, too. They, they do. They take a lot of people in and teach them how to make cheese there, I feel. Yeah, yeah. No, they've, they've got, for being just like a small mom-and-pop organization, they have a, a big staff, you know, and, and now even bigger than when I was there, but... Um, yeah, I feel like they're able to employ a lot of people and, and, and teach a lot of people about cheese. Um, and so when I was there, you know, in the in the cheese room for the first day and kind of like, you know, start to finish, you know, you walk in at 730 in the morning or seven, whatever, with this fluid milk. And then you walk out, you know, eight hours later with these finished, 
fresh wheels of cheese. It's an amazing process to be a part of. Yeah, it's such an amazing process. And to me, that process was akin to being in your studio making art. You know, it's like Mm. you have your Mm -hmm. raw materials, you have your means with which you transform them. Only with cheese, then the result was edible. And... (laughs) Which is, uh, you know, better just because it's edible, but also better because I felt like it took all of the um, things that I didn't like about the artwork or the art world and kind of filtered them out. Yeah, because everyone has taste buds. So when you're making a piece of art, you know, it could, you know, some of these things that people were doing in school were so conceptual and so out there and so boring. You know, it's just like, (laughs) oh, you needed like an instruction manual to appreciate it. And um, you were made to feel dumb if you didn't appreciate it. But with cheese, you know, I'm like, all right, you eat it, you like it, you don't. You make a judgment mm-hmm. call, and I love that immediacy of it. Um, yeah, absolutely. So that was really kind of like it's equal how opportunity it all art together. Yeah, <laughs> edible art, equal opportunity art. What kind of just as an aside? What was your like? Well, I know, I know your artwork, but why? Why did you love to draw and paint the things you did so much? Um. Well, I guess they were always kind of like quirky and personal, and I guess. You know, cheese can be like that too. Not all, you know, I feel like there are definitely different kinds of cheesemakers and different kinds of cheeses, but I feel like the ones that I always end up loving the most are kind of the ones that are um, a little bit off the beaten path. You know, they're not like incredibly, you know, large production cheeses. It's like the guy who's, you know, working solo in the little, you know, hut somewhere <laughs> is kind of always like, like yo, up in his little creamery up, yeah, in, uh, yeah. up in his shack upstate. Exactly. Exactly. Those cheeses that, you know, and, and I don't want to say anything that would, you know, piss off any larger scale cheesemakers, wow. but I feel like I definitely appreciate, yeah, that kind of You're a guest. The toiling this is your of chance. the individual. This you is know? your chance to curse a lot. Right. And you can yell. alienate anyone. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> oh, my God. Can, I, thought, I can't do it. <laughs> yeah, you can. You can. It's in you. I know it. No. <laughs> But so, so you started there at, um, at Murray's. So you worked there for, for a summer. For a summer. And then I was at Cato for six months. And then I went back to Murray's and yeah. kind of was there for their transition from the little space to the big space on mm. Bleecker. Which I remember really well. Yeah. And I didn't like the big space. I don't. I mean, and I wouldn't say it to be to be an, a jerk. I, I loved that little Me too. cheese shop. I loved that you could go in there and there was a bunch of like freaky weirdos in there. And you could get yeah. these, odd, <laughs> these odd sandwiches. Not that you guys are... The sandwiches stayed odd. Well, yeah, they did. (laughs) But that was a different shop. I mean, that was just a different kind of cheese shop. It was a real cultish kind of like neighborhood Mm -hmm. shop. Yeah, Yeah, and it fit into that neighborhood perfectly at the time that it was there. At least when I I worked in and around there, I worked worked in Soho, but I remember it just really fit into that neighborhood, that little sliver of a cheese shop. And the whole block has changed. The whole block has gone upscale. Yeah, and it's just more, and Bleecker Street is is more of like a tourist corridor in general. It is. You know, Mm -hmm. even more so than it was then, Mm -hmm. you know. So... I just yeah I didn't I didn't I never really felt kind of at home in the in the big store and I always thought that I'd like to do something from on my own so I left uh, I left Murray's in 2004 and then um, traveled for about six months learning to make cheese and make wine I figured you know I was still kind of on the cheese and wine thing and trying to kind of suss out what I wanted to do yeah. what my business would look like. Um, and so I went to France and made goat cheese for a couple months, and I went to Italy and made wine for a couple months. And, you know, at the end of everything, I was kind of, I was in France, and I was at this little cheese shop in Paris called Laurent Dubois that um, that Hermans had recommended me to. Sure. 
And it was this beautiful little jewel box of a cheese shop. And it was so simple. There was nothing in there except cheese and fresh dairy. And I kind of thought, yeah, this is it. Like, I, I you know, was thinking about... Smelled right. Yeah. No, looked right. Just <laughs> proper... Yeah, and it was just and no no you know no frills no no nothing extra you know it was mm-hmm. just it was a very beautiful like store and very like cut to the core you know mm-hmm. and I felt like why would I try to kind of you know I was thinking oh wine bar oh you know art gallery oh all these different things with cheese involved and I was like no like, I've got to do I'm just make a cheese, cheese. yeah I'm gonna have mm-hmm. a little cheese shop that's just full of cheese and nothing else um, and so when I came back to New York I started looking. Uh, for for places, and I found that little stall in the Essex Market with the help of Robert Lavalva, who's mm-hmm. a great guy. Who's... Your own little jewel box. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if it's a jewel box. It's like a little. It's like a. It's like a. What is it? It's like a little. Um, it's like a bric-a-brac cheese right, shop. Right. You did have an art gallery next door for a while. It's, is it still yeah, there? Cucci Fritos is still there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Strangest place. I mean, Strangest place in the world. That's where I met you. Yeah, I, I met you literally on the street. The street corner there, when uh, Daphne Zeppos was like, "This is Ann Saxelby. She's going to open up a shop of American cheeses." Yeah, exactly. And you were behind the the Comte counter. Yeah, t- I was locked in a tiny shell <laughs> with big cheeses. But I just think it's and it's um, it's interesting to note, you know, that now if someone were to say, "Yeah, I opened up a shop to you know to sell American cheeses," people would be like, "Oh yeah, well everybody does that." But you. Were the the pioneer the of that? You were like the second. I think Beechers. You're right. You're right. In Seattle was first. Oh, okay. You're right. Yeah, first in the city. They definitely. have only American. They have only American. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, Beechers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so. but I mean, and you, and you never because you're you, and I know you, um, but you. You you know it's it was a lot different than when you first opened up uh, um, the American cheese scene I yeah. guess as it were and the the producers and, and uh, everything the entire thing I mean what, when I started to sell cheese there was a like a handful like I could put my hands around the number of cheeses that I could get exactly and I feel like when when you did your shop you could put your arms around it and now I feel like it's this vast <laughs> thing you, you know? can't even keep up with it anymore right. yeah yeah it's and really so much better crazy and well, awesome. that's really better. And better, but yeah. do, 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 do you think the quality is has grown with the quantity? I do exponentially. Yep, that's fantastic to hear. Yeah, and I just I don't I haven't you you think so as well? Oh, I mean, for obviously. sure. Yeah, the, the 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 pillars of are still there though. I always feel like of American cheese. There's still people that that will always like you know like the the Igvella, you know the dry like things like Dry Jack or Humboldt Fog or. Um, or even Maytag Blue. Maytag Blue, like these, yeah. these things that people um, that people sometimes take for granted now, but don't uh, you know? Don't but don't uh, you know? They Realize that they've been in existence for a hundred years. You know? Yeah, yeah, totally. Or maybe not a hundred, but you know, a long time. A billion, a yeah. billion years. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, as you know, we're going to have to take a short break. But when we come back, we'll be talking more with Ann Saxelby. About cheese. Thanks so much. <laughs> you are listening to Four Lincolns, Never in Love.
The dairy farm families of Wisconsin and the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board are proud to underwrite Cutting the Curd on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Wisconsin cheeses have an illustrious heritage of more than 170 years of quality and craftsmanship. During this long and rich history, the art and science of cheesemaking have been captured in time-honored traditions that produce cheese varieties of unsurpassed excellence. Today, Wisconsin produces more than 600 varieties, types, and styles of American, international style, and original cheeses that win more awards than any other state or country. To learn more, visit www.eatwisconsincheese.com. This is Clay Gordon of thechocolatelife.com, and you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Welcome back to Cutting the Curd. Again, I'm very excited to have uh, Overlord and Sax will be here with me in the booth, and uh, Diane Stemple, both who uh, predate me on the show, but somehow I'm hosting the show. I, don't know. <laughs> I want a T-shirt that says that Over- Overlord. <laughs> I can get that done for you. That would be good. That would be good for the kids. Just yes. be like, listen, listen to me. I'm in charge here. <laughs> So we were talking with Anne in the first part of the show about her roots as a cheesemonger, and I knew you had gotten up to the point where you opened Saxelby Cheesemongers, which was, you know, you did your retail thing, and now you've grown into a wholesale thing, and then you were, oh, and then you started a radio show, and uh, now uh, what's going on? What's next for you? Oh my gosh! Well, I mean, right now I'm pretty, um, I'm pretty busy. I have two little kids. I have yeah, yeah. Congratulations! You, congrats! You're Thanks. a new mama again. New mama again. Yep. So Max, my son, will be two in November, and my daughter Josie was just born at the end of July. Wow, that's so sweet. So she's brand new, and um, so right now I feel like it's all. I, I'm just kind of like wrapped up in that, and then the business is. Um, you know, the business is growing. The wholesale side of things continues to grow, and we're just kind of focusing on that for the time being. I mean, and, you know, for those those 10 people out there that don't know, so Saxelby <laughs> Cheesemongers started. I worked in the Essex market with Ann, and uh, we, we were the first, I would say, some of the first merchants of our kind in that in that yeah. establishment. Yeah, um, we were some of the first like non-Hispanic like new merchants. And yeah. um, so I went in there and just tried to sell one cheese, and that was insane. I worked for the Essex Street Cheese Company, and then I sort of storing parts for your for your stand <laughs> for a while. In your phone booth size stand. In my stand. phone booth, and I was really happy to have something else to do. I remember you asking me, hey, do you mind if I put these boxes here? I was like, anything. Just give me anything to do, and I'll do it. We would sit and talk and hang out, Oh, too. that was awesome. That was like, yeah. But you were way down at the end of the other end of the hall. So. I know, it's true. But but it was so interesting to see um, the growth of your of your business. I remember meeting uh, your family. That I remember meeting all the Saxelbees <laughs> that day. They right, come they around. Came, they came for the opening, didn't they? Yep, yep. They come. And I made them all do shots of whiskey with me at Boss Tweeds. <laughs> Which is legendary. Probably, yeah, they did not need their arms twisted for that, no, probably. yeah, they did not. They did not at all. <laughs> but, but, you know, from there you... You started selling, or I mean, you had your plan. You started selling all the ni- the neighborhood restaurants, a wholesale in LES, and then that birthed your. Uh, you have an aging uh, facility in in Red Hook, correct? Yeah, yeah. Well, I wouldn't c- quite call it an aging facility. I mean, I'd love to at some point get to the point where we could do some real affinage, but I would say now we've pretty much just got like got a, a nice big, fridge, got a big walk in, yeah, <laughs> where we we try to shepherd the cheese along in the best possible condition, but. Um, yeah, we kind of we started by selling. I, I would just you know in the beginning I hit up all my 
all my friends in the restaurant world at the time and people who I thought would like the local thing. Because, again, you know, chefs weren't necessarily looking for local cheeses back then. They weren't at all, actually. Another trend you were ahead of. Well, it was just kind of funny. (laughs) And then, and then, yeah, now, you know, people, people come to us pretty much every day. Um, But, you know, Back then, I remember I was like, okay, Savoy, you know, Peter Hoffman. Absolutely. Um, he was uh, somebody who was like, okay, maybe he would go for it. And uh, my friend Colin Alavris, who um, had the tasting room. Absolutely. Um, who is uh, no longer, I'm sad that that restaurant so isn't I. around anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were two of the first. And then um, I remember at the time there was a woman named Molly Kaplan who was the cheese person for Gramercy Tavern. Yeah. She came over right away. She was she was really fun. So, you know, there was kind of like a handful of people who kind of started it. And then um, it was just growing so much to the point where, you know, we couldn't even walk in the walk-in. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have a, a small... Well, for anyone who doesn't know, hasn't been there, your store is incredibly tiny. Yeah, it's about yeah, 100... You can fit a person in there. <laughs> yeah, it's about 150 square feet, the entire store, and half of it's a walk-in. So, right. You, you needed know. another space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I remember it was hilarious. I mean, we literally couldn't walk in the walk-in. We'd have to open the door and just <laughs> hope that we could reach for whatever we needed. And luckily, Benoit, my business partner, and I are both tall and have long arms. So <laughs> usually we could reach what we wanted to reach, but um, we would prepare all these wholesale orders and then just like put them out and then we had this delivery guy who we found on craigslist who was um he was a uh he was a like a public defender or something during the and, and then between cases he would come down to the market and deliver cheese so he'd for do us. like bail bondsman work yeah like uh, maybe and then deliver cheese in between yeah yeah exactly it was hilarious and he'd, he'd be in a suit and so everyone was like god you're a delivery guy that's in awesome. a suit you know and we're like well that's how we roll here yeah. at saxony yeah. cheesemongers like well he's a lawyer and he just does this for fun you know it was so weird but so then eventually we're kind of like okay you know it was actually we, we took a trip in 2009 benoit and i to um cheese and bra and um jason from neil's yard dairy was so great he 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 picked us up in jason paris hines. jason hines yep uh, who's been oh yeah a guest many times as well uh. um and uh you know we after kind of tr- we took this long trip and we sort of saw all these different cheese businesses in italy and france and in england and we were like okay this is what we have to do next we've got to build a little cave and um you know, really sort of focus on this on this wholesale thing and, and see what we can what we can make of it. Um, because I feel like my goal is always to, you know, be kind of a little bit of a bridge between the farm and the and the people eating the cheese. And so we wanted to, but just not, and not do it in just a symbolic sense, but really sell a meaningful quantity of cheese for these farms. So we were kind of like, all right, if we want to do that, then we got to do it. We've got to right. do a wholesale business mm-hmm. in earnest. You know, mm-hmm. well, you must be proud of all of the work you've done. Like Diane said, like you. Um, you did things. You did many things first, and uh, and you don't mention that a lot because you're a <laughs> humble person. But um, but you really have, and uh, you continue to do that. And I I wondered if you could just you know tell me like how does it feel just to know to know that you're that person? Oh man, well I don't know that I feel that way. I mean I feel like I. Um, <laughs> You know, it was just kind of, in a lot of ways, it was like, you know, timing is everything. I was in the right place at the right time, you know, and I happened to meet some really wonderful cheesemakers who were starting up just around the same time. Like I remember back in the day working at Murray's and um, Jasper Hill was just getting started, you know, and so Mateo and Andy would come in with their cheeses and, you know, I feel like, you know, it just kind of all happened like at at the same time. And I was really lucky to like be kind of at the crest of the wave at the right time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and be able to ride it. And you have your great personality, which 
helps everything. <laughs> I mean, everyone likes you. I think you're a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Greg. Likewise. Yeah. I'm kicking Greg. <laughs> I mean, you know, you're you're Ann Saxelby. Well, that's that's very nice of you to say. I, yeah, I um I can tell you're nervous because you keep twisting whatever you're holding in your I know, well, you know, you're making me uncomfortable. No, no, I know yeah. what you're saying. So you gotta, like, let's well, dial well, back I wanted the to, to ask you a question, you know, uh, an actual question. Okay. An actual question. Um, okay, coming up. So you know, there's been all this um, hooey actual. about uh, you know the the FDA and wooden boards and all of this. You know, and there's just been a lot of activity going on. And I was wondering, uh, since you know a lot of this has happened, um, you know, through this summer, and uh, you have been, you know, busy having babies and uh, you know doing <laughs> that kind of stuff. So your voice hasn't been heard by me at least as much as it. You know, as much as maybe normally would. So, what do, what do you think of all of this? Well, I think it's kind of a scary time for American cheese and American cheesemakers because, like Diane said, you know, we've made so much progress. I mean, my shop is going to be eight years. Well, it's eight years old. It'll be nine years old um, as of next year. And you know, it's there's there's been such amazing progress in um, the variety and quality of cheeses made in this country. And to think that that could be kind of now hampered or destroyed by the FDA is really scary. Not just because people would be, you know, losing something that's delicious, but because, you know, many people have staked their lives on the businesses that depend on these products. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, so for me as a business person and as a cheesemonger, I mean, I would lament the loss of all these raw milk cheeses that would no longer be allowed. Um, But I would also, you know, it would fundamentally alter the nature of our business because Mm -hmm. we wouldn't have nearly as much, you know, beautiful, interesting cheese to sell. Um, It would be really tragic. And it would be harder on the smaller farmers. It would be harder to change change the rules on them. Yeah, well, and all you know, even the equipment. Um, well, you know, a pasteurizer is like ten thousand dollars, easy. So you know, if someone wants to get into cheese making, that's you a know, it's a lot of cash. That's a lot of cash to lay out out front, and it just is. Uh, you know, it's another barrier to entry. So there's so there's been a lot of talk around non toxinogenic E. coli counts in raw milk cheese. Yeah. And I read this uh, awesome summary someone showed me. Uh, Matteo Keeler wrote for some uh, some cheese folk on a, in a cheese uh, blog. Uh, for those listeners that don't know, non, non-toxinogenic E. coli is a common bacteria found in raw milk cheese. Like the name pl- implies, it's non-toxinogenic, non-harmful, and in fact, it's known to impart additional flavor into the cheese. In 2009, the FDA sought to lower the limit for regulatory response to non-toxinogenic E. coli in all cheeses and offer different limits for raw and pasteurized cheeses, a significantly higher one for raw milk cheese, understandably, since raw milk naturally contains more of this delicious, creating non-toxinogenic bacteria. Uh, When the final guidance document was published in 2010, the language and standards for raw milk cheese were deleted and the standard for pasteurized dairy products were applied to all dairy products, including raw milk cheese. So not only is this an impossible standard to meet for raw milk, uh, no one in the cheese industry was sort of, um, you know... Aware, at the table. Yeah. yeah. And so what are your thoughts about that, like like that particularly? Well, I mean, I feel like it was a big missed opportunity. You know, for, I feel like a lot of these things kind of happen behind closed doors and... Um, like everything does. And, and, yeah, in political situations. And I think that... You know, small-scale cheesemakers don't really... They they certainly don't have, like, a lobbying body because that costs a lot of money. And, you know, as great as organizations like the ACS and things are, 
it's impossible to kind of, you know, it's impossible to catch everything that's, that's going through, although I'm sure that they knew about it. Um, but it's also hard to spread the word and get the kind of feedback that would stop something like that from going through, you know, Mm -hmm. because we are, we are a mighty community, but we're small, you know, so Mm -hmm. to get, uh, to get sort of the, the crucial, you know, outrage, you know, the, the crucial mass of outrage that you would need to stop something like that, that would be, it wouldn't be impossible, but it would be tough for the cheese community to muster. So um, I think it's ridiculous that the regulations would be the same for pasteurized as raw milk cheeses because that's essentially outlawing raw milk cheese without d- doing it without, explicitly. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. Um, and that's, you know, that's the troublesome, the troublesome thing. And I think I remember um, uh, the the standards, I believe it's like 10 colony forming units per gram of cheese. Yep. And in France, I think it's 100,000 colony forming units per gram of cheese. That's the regulation. So that's a bit, that's, a God, that's just like <laughs> the, the difference. That's impossible. In it's, anything, yeah. that's mm-hmm. a big. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And, and, and Jasper Hill, actually, I was talking to Vince from Jasper Hill, and, you know, I feel like they're on the up and up about these types of issues a lot more than other farms. Um, well, probably the most. I mean, and, well, at least the well, most. they've installed a lab on their farm. I mean, yeah. they have um, the ability and the means to kind of test for these things. So they were saying even, you know, on a good day, and they have um, won awards for having the cleanest milk in Vermont on several occasions. They have 23 colony forming units per gram. And that's like the cleanest milk ever. You mm-hmm. know, the French uh, cheese technicians who come over and kind of help them develop their cheeses from time to time, they're like, the problem is that your milk is too clean. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you want to. Not you, tasty enough. Yeah, yeah. But that's they, the thing, though. <laughs> yeah. And, like, and I'm a. I'm, yeah. I mean, that that's. Sterilization of of everything of our society. I mean, no, that's, that's a big thing. That's that's just where we're headed. That's where we're headed on I, a whole. Yeah, and I feel like people like Michael Pollan have started, you know, trumpeting that a little bit. I, I really liked that article that he wrote a couple um, months ago about the the microbiome and how important that is, and all these Absolutely. bacteria that we take for granted and that we don't know what they do. And I really feel like, yeah, the over-sterilization thing is a Little big bugs run the god darn universe. They're all inside us, all around us, on us, everywhere. That's just how it is. Yeah, you know and it's I mean? certainly, re- rules and regulations have their place, certainly. You but gotta you have, have to be, it has to be based in, in science and in things that are Reasonable, not just uh, well. That's be common pasteurization sense. standards. Yeah, the science is a is a tool. You know, that's that's used in my. I'm a I'm a terrible person because I feel like we aren't defined by like science doesn't define us. We use it, you know, as a tool to define the things that are that are around us, and uh, that's that's just how I see the world. Well, sure, and and oftentimes people who publish scientific, um, you know, findings are you know like companies who publish scientific findings findings they pay these researchers to kind of. You know, it's it's always skewed, let's say. You know, it, it's always skewed. The research that you see is always skewed in the favor of the person who wants it. Absolutely. Who sponsored it, you of, know? Of course. It's like a poll in a Republican newspaper saying <laughs> that uh, Barack Obama is a terrible, you know, they're only polling their readers. You sure. Know? And I, I get that. Uh, but, but um, yeah, it's, 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 it's frightening. It's frightening to think that that's the way that we're going. But it's good that there are people speaking out uh, against it and it's coming to a head. I know Diane and I both saw that uh, at the ACS this year. The FDA spoke at ACS at the business meeting mm-hmm. and they were the guy who spoke was quite reasonable. Uh, he 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 respectful, he reasonable, uh, seemed to have listened to the meeting the day before. Um, it was 
it felt collegial. I can't pronounce that word. Collegial? Word. Yes. Yeah. Well, it felt to me like this. There was a guy who was like, holy shit, these guys are like serious about what they do. That's like, not just a bunch of like, you know, yahoos. yokels and yeah. garages right, making right. cheese. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, like there's about 2,000 people staring me down in this room that look like they want to... paid a lot of money to be here who are representing this industry. And they look like they want to eat my face if I I say the wrong thing because, you know, I'm going to take away their livelihood. That would be really scary to be in that situation. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, unfortunately, I think we are... uh, Running out of time, but I wanted so to. So you'll uh, have to come back. Yeah. Okay. Twist my arm. <laughs> come back anytime. Well, thank you um, so much, Anne and Diane, both for coming on and uh, for being here with me. And, uh, you know, I thank you, Anne, for bestowing upon me the awesome job of uh, hosting uh, Cutting the Curd. And uh, so I want you all to stay tuned for another episode. Ne- next week, we'll be broadcasting live from the Heritage Radio Network. listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.